Welcome to the Right Place, Right Time podcast brought to you by Place Specialist Thinking Place. I'm John Till, the founding director, and through these podcasts, which you can access on our website, we shine a light on different aspects of place through the insight of leaders in their field. And today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Mike Palin, Executive Director for Markets, Partners and Places at Homes England. Mike has been with Homes England since 2021 and is a, a very successful deliverer of economic growth strategies, as well as being a leading thinker on how economic growth implementation can fit with broader policy initiatives. He's a former local authority chief executive, a local enterprise partnership exec director, and has been a consultant as well. As chief executive at St. Helens, he delivered a new economic approach, seeing the borough have the second highest per capita jobs growth in the entire north of England, resulting in a low employment rate, and whilst also attracting over half a billion of private sector investment, government industrial strategy investment, and a major town centre investment partner. And he's also a fellow of the Royal Society based on his expertise in economic growth. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time to share your thoughts with me and the audience. That's really great. And as we always do with these things, we start with what is your favourite place and why? Thanks, John. And I'm glad to, to be here as well and talking about one of my favourite topics, which is you know, how do you improve places and how do you lead places? Tough one to answer in terms of my favourite place. I grew up in an area of North Manchester. I often say I'm from Bury because the bit of North Manchester I'm from is technically in the borough of Bury. My family are very Salfordian to the point that they will refuse to ever be described as Mancunian. <laughs> um, and uh, I really enjoyed my time in St. Helens, one of the, as you'll know, a place that has a huge amount of local pride and, and a, a great history. But I now live on Merseyside, which is another reason why I say I'm from Bury, not from Manchester. Um, but if I think through all of that, my, my favourite place ten is probably the Willows, which rugby league fans will know is the old Salford rugby league ground. It's a place that where as growing up, I would always look forward to going to uh, in the winter and then in the summer as the game moved over. And it's just a place that I have very, very fond memories of and of watching the, the sport I love and being there with family. And it's just a place that really has stood out over time for me. Yeah, no, brilliant. And it's a good old game. A good old game. It is. It is. Uh, you know, that, that point around being from from Bury, I was obviously chairman of the Bury Broncos Rugby League Club and I started the club there. And you sometimes have to use the name of a place to signal something else. So we were playing out of, of Whitefield, but we wanted to have a bigger catchment. So our bigger catchment was to call ourselves Bury. And I think it's, it's often important to think of places as nestled entities, one yeah. place sitting within another place, within another place, within another place it's important for place leaders to recognise that as well. I totally, totally agree with that. And and you've now got this really important role within Homes England and clearly 
when it comes to place, Holmes England is vitally important in terms of what it can deliver. And and, and it seems that the organisation is kind of having an evolving role now, maybe a bit more about regeneration. Is is, is that right? And, and what kind of does that mean for places? It, it is right. I mean, probably the first thing to say is that Holmes England has existed in its current form since 2018. But actually, if you're a, an employee of Homes England, your pension scheme that you're a part of goes back, back to the 1940s. There's always been a government agency uh, involved in shaping place by intervening where the market is failing and, and, and trying to make a difference. So Homes England returning to... To, to its roots in many ways and, and delivering regeneration alongside housing is, is shouldn't be a surprise to people. I think the, the, the policy environment of 2018 was very focused on dealing with the, the perceived affordability challenges in the Southeast. And, and we were challenged as an agency to make sure more housing got delivered to deal with that affordability challenge. I think there's now a greater recognition particularly since the white paper was published last year, the levelling up white paper, that places are there to be shaped. And it's not just about housing. It's about the mix of interventions, whether it be housing, commercial, leisure facilities that make it a a place that people want to be. So we're almost going back to our roots. It's in our DNA. And regeneration and place shaping is something we're well equipped to do. Mm. So does that mean a big change in terms of the organisation and how it works and how it interacts with places? It's not a huge change necessarily in how we work. If you if you reduce Homes England back to what its core ingredients are, we've got a workforce that are highly skilled in delivering development. Um, we have planners, we have surveyors, we have funding specialists, we have economists. We have individuals who are expert in understanding the market dynamics for affecting development. And those teams are distributed throughout the country. So we New, Newcastle, Manchester, Liverpool, Leeds, Coventry, uh, Bristol um, and uh, London offices. We've got the powers that were given to us under the 1998 Act, which allows us to do things such as CPO, potentially act as a planning authority, but we, we only in circumstances where that's absolutely necessary. We've also got strong relationships across both the public sector and the private sector and an institutional memory of how to get things done. So our challenge, I think, is to, to combine all of those assets plus the money we're given by government to help places develop themselves. So it is leading to a, a more focused effort within the organisation around where is it we can get the most impact? What are the circumstances that drive delivery of our programmes? And can we find more places where we can do more and perhaps focus less on those places where development isn't actually encouraged? And be a bit mm. more honest about the fact that there are some there are some places that don't want to change yeah, and it absolutely. shouldn't be the role of the state to try and change them in any way, shape or form. 
Um, so not a huge change in how we do things, but probably a shift in emphasis in, in how we target our resources throughout the country. And, and uh, you talk about trying to make the most of things in places that have potential. I mean, how do you prioritise your involvement and your investment in places? We've done a lot of thinking uh, and did a, a lot of work um, that informed the white paper as well on what are the right circumstances for success. So you won't be surprised, John, in me saying that a place has to have a vision for where it's trying yeah. to go. Um, it then needs to have a plan for how it's going to get there. There needs to be a willingness to align resources in that place to delivering that plan. There's no good having a plan if you're then going to just not, not put in place the building blocks to make it happen. Um, you've got to have the willingness to work with the partners available to you, and that includes the private sector. You know, Particularly local government is not in a place to do everything alone. Um, so it has to be able to work in the private sector. And then you have to also provide confidence that the decisions required will happen. And particularly if you're shaping a place, you can't make one decision on a Monday and think it will happen on a Tuesday. You, you, are, you are committing to something that will take years. And if you're not willing to, to connect one decision to another decision to another decision over a medium term time horizon, it will not happen. So one of the things that we do look for is the willingness to create delivery vehicles, something that actually gives surety to the market, but also to us, that the right decisions will get made and that the investment being put forward will have a positive result. How we do that operationally within the organisation is we, we have been trying to form a view of which places up and down the country meet those criteria best, not as a hard and fast rule, but as a as a tool for, is there something for us to do? And we will therefore go to where there's something to do and where the, there's a willing partner to work with us to do it. And I think that's quite a quite a big change in emphasis for, for the agency going forward when perhaps we've been perceived as being trying to do everything for everyone. We, we just haven't got the resources to do that. And an impact is diminished as a result. Mm. I mean, and, and, and do you find there are those places where they've got a vision lined up, where they've got an idea of projects that they want to? I mean, are there enough of those? I, I think there is a there are three systemic challenges that face sort of physical uh, place shaping strategies. The first is capacity and capability. And I, I, that is not a criticism of any individuals, but there is just simply not enough built environment specialists in this country to do all of the things that we say we want to do. So identifying places where there is some capacity, but also a recognition of the deficits means we can work with them to make things happen. There is nothing worse than trying to work with a place that says they've got all the skills they require, and you look under the bonnet and realize, no, they've not. <laughs> you, you straight away know nothing's going to get delivered. Um, the second challenge is that our national approach to sort of strategic planning is not long-term enough. So it's very hard to, to make a commitment on day one with confidence that something's not going to disrupt it downstream. And the third thing is getting those local decisions 
that are absolutely critical but often contentious. So we have a systemic issue of an unwillingness to to make tough choices, and, and that often can be seen through the planning process. So we've got those those three challenges. I think there are many places where there is strong local leadership seeking to overcome them. And where we find those places, our role is about providing some help, not necessarily expecting them to be ready to go, but actually we've got the skills, the people, uh, the tools in terms of our, our legal powers and our funds that can step in and help those places that are wanting to make things happen, but just don't have all of the tools at their own disposal. We need to test that more as homes and I think you know, as built environment professionals and, and place specialists, we need to have a bit more honesty about we can't bluff our way through this to the yeah. same extent as perhaps we have done in the past and just say, yes, we've got everything we need to make stuff happen. We will want to see that there is a you know, there is a financial strategy from a council that underpins their long-term regeneration approach. If we if we could very quickly test whether it's there, so don't tell us you've got one when you haven't, and that that's the shift we're making. I think as an organisation is, yes, there are definitely those places that have got a strong vision. We find the strong leadership. We want to, some honesty about what are the gaps that would prevent delivery occurring, and we'll then come alongside and be a partner in in trying to fill those. So obviously, you've talked about the ability to intervene and and where you can help i mean on a sort of a practical basis what does that look like in terms of capacity and support when you go into a place i mean what does it feel like what what do you do yeah probably the best thing to do here is to give um two examples that are opposite ends of the scale so i'll probably start with the the the, um local government capacity center so if listeners are not aware, we provide a service that is one to many. So we do two learning programs, one in the summer, one in the winter, up to a thousand people can log in and we will go through either a, a topic, a theme where we'll, so it could be placemaking, it could be an interview with our chairman on how his uh, development in King's Cross was delivered or so on, or it could be a technical matter that is almost a bit of personal development so we could we could go through the basics of a development appraisal for people who've never encountered development appraisals so in a very practical way we're doing a a service there that is universal it's one to many anyone from any local authority any housing association any other partner can practically engage with us and and, and learn from us at the other end of the scale is what we've been doing in Sheffield in the last 18 months or so. So we identified that there was considerable potential for us to be doing more in Sheffield. It was then named in the white paper as a, a levelling up priority uh, off the back, I think, of, of some of the work we were already doing there. And we have a number of work strands with the City Council where we are actively trying to drive up the demand and therefore the take-up of our products. So that can include finance for SME builders. It also includes the affordable housing program. So removing some of the barriers between the housing associations and the planning system, for example. But it also includes us funding and being the commissioner of, on behalf of the council, 
master plans. Those master plans are done in conjunction with the council, but they're using Homes England resources, Homes England expertise to manage the process, Homes England's frameworks for employing the consultants, and, and they are now leading to some um, significant capital investments and regeneration delivery that Sheffield will um, very proudly shared at UK Reef last week. So, you know, that is that is where the, the opposite end to the universal offer. We are wrapping ourselves around places where there is strong leadership. And with Sheffield, Kate Joseph as the chief executive of the council chairs the delivery board between right. us and them. So we've got, we know we've got that senior level buy-in and, and, and we're really beginning to see the results of, of that. And in a practical way, we're, we're filling gaps where those gaps can't be met by that partner. So some of this is very bespoke to the place then, very bespoke based on what you've said. It, it has to be bespoke to the place. I, there are, uh, I've done a quick and dirty assessment of, of a series of places and what their challenges are for delivering development and they are all different. So. There are some places where just there is a lack of demand I and mean, you have to accept there's a lack of demand for, for development to go there. There are other places where there is a huge amount of demand, but that has overwhelmed the planning system. And the challenge there is just, just a volume of planning planners or planning applications means you need more planners. There are others where it's strategic planning and master planning, which is a very different skill set. You then have the, the scenario that, that I faced in the past where we didn't employ any surveyors. Therefore, how are we going to actually assess how we're going to deliver a scheme? You've got to go to market to bring that in. Um, so every place is different, but also the institution you're working with will have different strengths and different weaknesses. And therefore, you've got to be close to that place to understand how you're going to support it. You cannot, um, I can say this sitting where I am in Liverpool, you cannot operate from Whitehall and understand what is going on in Stockton or what is going on in Carlisle, what is going on in Wolverhampton, what's happening in Plymouth. You have to have people close enough to understand the very particular circumstances and, and what the challenges are. Now to see that. And, and I mean, obviously there's been almost like a perfect storm for places. Um, at the moment from covid and you know climate change and all sorts of things that are affecting them changing the way we work live and changing the way we shop and etc i mean one of the things that that certainly we've seen is and i think certainly the pandemic had an accelerator effect on this is is experience of place and how important that is and whether that's spaces or whatever or what's what's going on in those places and how people do or don't come together i mean how is all of that influencing the development of place if indeed it is yeah it, it absolutely is because we're seeing restructuring in the market in response so we all know the challenges of shopping centers in many parts of the country that was accelerated to a certain extent by by covid but the reality is we were experiencing our shopping experience was changing anyway. It's not always as a threat. It can be an opportunity. There are many parts in this country that are uh, benefiting from the growth in large shed developments 
on the edge of the motorways. Mm. Um, so you, you have to understand both the, the, where the market is going and how people are experiencing place to develop your strategies for place. And the, the two elements are interlinked. If people are experiencing places in a different way, then that influences the market in that place. The market is itself shifting, which will change the way people experience it. Place strategies just need to be really, really cognizant of the changes that are going on because ultimately you can't resist them. You know, yeah. Some of them are intrinsically going to, to happen. They happen because barely, I barely buy anything in a, in a shop. I don't enjoy shopping per se. So the, the growth of online uh, retail, it suits me. And mm -hmm. I'm not, no, no amount of saying that the high street is going to suffer is going to cause me to then go, suddenly go back to the high street. And um, you have to re respond to, to those differences. From a Holmes England perspective, and certainly if you listen to our chairman speak, he he will talk about the need for the lived experience of place. You have to you have to actually have sufficient scale in your thinking to make connections between the various different things that will happen there. Um, many will point to King's Cross as, as as an example of that, but there are other examples in every um, in every region of the country where you can see how a place has gone from serving one role in the past to serving another role in the future. And the more awareness we have of that, with the disruptions of things like COVID, the better our planning will be for those being vibrant places in, in the long term. Mm. I mean, you, you more than most are close to what the future of place looks like. So as, as we look ahead and take into account all of the things that you've talked about, I mean, what what for you makes up a successful place and what should, you know, people listening on this place leaders, what, what should they be focusing on and thinking about as, as places change? It's a really difficult question to answer because I don't think we, we're clear what we mean by a place leader or who or where that leadership should should sit. You know, I am a strong advocate for for local government acting as a place leader and being the integrator of things that happen impacting on a on a population. So um I always saw my own place leadership role as being about integrating not just the things happening in the physical environment of of a, of a place but also things like health and care integration and then the relationship between those two things are being felt by the people that live there we're not um devolved enough to allow leadership to occur at the right level in this country in my view and um, devolution as a, a broad agenda is is very positive it's still in its early days, but we have to ensure the right levers are being devolved to the right level to really make a difference. In terms of what place leaders need to focus on is, is that understanding of a, of a direction of travel for your place. That isn't necessarily the writing down of strategies. Uh, I'm not a big fan of doing that. I'm more of a view of get, get a sense of what you can achieve and steer things in the right direction because you've not got control of enough to really pin it down at any one point in time. And by understanding the opportunities that are there for you, 
what your constraints are, you can navigate the best course through and, and be really honest about what you can control uh, and what you can't. That's in a setting of a load of change that you have to be aware of, but you can't be too fixated on. Things like climate change, absolutely you've got to adapt to it, but it can't be the driver of what you necessarily do because it is largely out of your control. There's a big yeah. collective effort to do something about it, but at a place level, you cannot prevent climate change happening. So you've got to be aware of it, but it can't be the driver of what you're doing from, from one week to the next. Similarly, things like you only have to look at any magazine. It's talking about AI and the impact of AI. It's very hard to predict what that means. So let's concentrate on something that we can influence over the, the nearer term. And um, it, it, for me, it's about thinking as a systems leader, what can you join up with other, what can you integrate? What can you join together? And what benefit accrues from that? And that's the, the approach to, to place leadership. I think we need some, some more of systems integration thinking, um, joining up of dots, problem solving, not service delivery because I don't think that's really what we need at the minute. Mm. So, I mean, in essence, that that points to the importance, I guess, of, yeah, the of course, the place leadership role of the local authority, but the pivotal impact of collaboration, that if you don't have that collaboration, it's going to be really difficult to understand how to join up those bits. It, it is, and it's about collaboration on the basis of trying to, achieve a shared goal. I think there's a difference between part, we, we enter partnerships. Partnerships often mean multiple parties sitting together and having a conversation, not necessarily recognizing that one of the other partners at the table would be better at doing what you want to be done. So collaboration are, needs to be about accepting that there may be a, a partner who is better placed to achieve your end goal and ceding to them some of that responsibility. Coming back to the approach we're taking at Homes England in terms of identifying where to where, where we'll achieve the most in the future, we, we are interested in places that are willing to create delivery vehicles that provide some insulation from the short-termism of political processes. So actually cede some responsibility to an, an appropriate um, vehicle that will be able to make some of the long-term decisions that will make a difference. Be willing to engage with the private sector on the basis that you know, they've got to achieve a return or they won't come to you. But manage that relationship in a way that it's collaborative, that they're achieving your goals as well as their goals, not just presuming they will flow, that capital will flow to to, to where you are because you've you've made a statement a vision statement that, that that you think they'll automatically flock to they'll need confidence that you're going to follow through on, on what you said you're going to do and you'll achieve that confidence by having a collaborative approach by generating trust between all the partners and then having that common goal between you where everyone gets their their, their bit of the pie uh, if, if that's the right the best way of phrasing it no, I mean, all of what you've said that there is massively important. And what, what we certainly see uh, in successful places is that those mature relationships, you know, 
and we don't we don't unfortunately see them enough. But there we go. But I think it's interesting. Correct, it's, but it's interesting. Just and sorry for cutting across. He used a word yeah. there, which is mature relationships. If you, you know, anyone listening who has done a uh, an MBA will be aware of the the idea of maturity models. So you take your business, you compare it to the most mature business in your market, your so i.e. the competitor that will ordinarily beat you on any metric, and you say, well, how do I move from my position to their mature position? At times, I wonder whether we need to do that exercise across places. But yeah. What is it about these places that have made them so successful? And then an honest assessment around where other places are and what the trajectory is to move from one to the other. Um, I think one of the tools we're, we're looking to develop through the local government capacity centre is a maturity model. You can go online, plug in some key information, and it tells you where you compare to others. And you might not like the result, but it gives you that baseline position of, are you in a position to deliver as much as you think? And being mature in your relationships in that kind of business language sense, as well as just interpersonal skills, I think is, is really important. Yeah, I mean, I can only agree. I think one of the things that we see, which is such a shame, is so many places are just insular, that they don't get out and look, and they don't think wider, and they don't go search out some best practice. You know, they're very, very focused, for obvious reasons, on, you know, their own, if it's a local authority, boundary, and of course, members want to get re-elected, and I, and I get all that, but sometimes delivering that change you talked about does mean, you know, getting out there, comparing. It, it does. But it's a, you probably know why I, I say this. Sometimes that insularity can be a positive to a certain extent. Yeah. If, if it's the generator of pride, if, it, if it's something that you can get people to buy into, while simultaneously saying, but well, you've got to change, because yeah. the world around you is changing. It's where that insularity means that, you think the world will change to you. The, the, the reality is it won't. So you've got to you've got to build on the pride that people have in, in a place and then use it to be more open and, and be more and have a almost a, a market proposition that says, come here, invest here. This is the place you want to, to be. Mike, as ever, absolutely fascinating. I could listen all day i think there's a lot of really important and um, points in there and and it's going to be fascinating to see you know the homes england journey with this slightly different emphasis now and how that helps places um going forward so really appreciate your time for those of you who are listening who are interested in all this we have a free place manager event on june the 28th in stoke on trent which uh, people are very welcome to come to if you're doing anything to do with place in terms of its development, its promotion, and, and it's on our website. So I'll finally thank Mike for his time and I look forward to seeing you all on the next podcast. <laughs>